Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon has a, a great deal for you, Sean. Um, I'm sure down with it being so so warm this time of year in Florida, you wouldn't mind having yourself a nice piece of cold steel in your pocket, wouldn't you? Uh, you know what? I think it'd be so like hotcakes down here. <laughs> well, if you want one of those those pocket knives that uh, it's the Axon is given away from the Alliance Tire Company, send an email to marketing at axontire dot com with all your details and tell them Moving Iron sent you, and they will send you one in the mail for free. So just go to marketing at axontire dot com, and they will send that to you. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And finally, no matter how much no matter how much you buy equipment or where you buy it from, Sean, if it's a dealer auction or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Sean is with Hackett Financial from Boca Raton, Florida, and uh, he is kind enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So, Sean, we had a – let's do this first. We had a pretty big reversal yesterday in the market. Um, everything, you know, wheat was going limit up, limit up, limit up, went limit down yesterday. Uh, corn was down 20-some, soybeans were down, everything was down. Was, everything went the opposite direction. I'm sure a lot of that was profit-taking, but there was also some news about – you know, Ukraine and Russia getting together and figuring out a ceasefire. That obviously didn't happen last night. Um, inflation report came out this morning. We're at 7.9% inflation uh, year over year. Um, so a lot of that's playing on, on the market. And then the outside markets, too, are also going crazy because the price of oil fell, off, fell out of bed yesterday as well, too. So I guess just brief recap of what you saw happen yesterday and your thoughts. I think we have to separate... Um, what part of the move is a fundamental move? Mm-hmm. What part of the move is a money problem? Meaning when you get a, a, the, the nature of a blow off top is it's, it rises initially on a fundamental change that is warranted and it ends with an irrational trade, meaning that you, you actually, you're, you're overdoing 
the worst case scenario, but it becomes a margin call problem, a money problem, like we talked about the nickel market, you know, this entity losing, was it $8 billion yeah. because they didn't get out in time and that sort of thing. It's, it becomes a money problem. And once the money problem gets rectified in some way, all that buying that was not buying because of fundamentals, they're buying because they didn't have a choice, comes out of the market. And I think yesterday might have been the first part stage is showing that those that were caught on the wrong side, that had a money problem, we might be getting that resolved and we might getting get these markets back into um, a calmer period and, and maybe a little bit of a lower period um, that better reflects what the true fundamental situation is. And of course, we're going into the, you know, the growing season here in the Northern Hemisphere. So I think that's what's going on. Um, and that's the nature of a blow off top. Blow off top is when that happens and then you come back down and then you kind of calm yourself a little while. And I do think we're in the process of taking some, especially wheat and crude oil, classic, classic money problem blow off tops that likely have been made. And now we just have to decide how low do we go to get prices back to what I would consider to be more of a, of, a, of reality on what the what the true different scenarios fundamentally are. Okay, so makes sense. All right, so we had a question from a listener come in all the way from from France. No matter matter of fact, so uh, <clears throat> Francis from France he uh, sent in a question for Sean and Sean. We we hit on this I think a couple times since we've been on the podcast together, but. He, um, he said he heard uh, Sean say a few weeks ago that he was expecting a price spike in cocoa because of anticipation weather, anticipated weather factors in West Africa. Um, really, I think he's asking, is, is that still what you see happening? And then could you provide a further update and explanation on this topic? Well, we have a long-term view uh, that we're moving away from La Nina, in fact, we believe La Nina will literally disappear probably by April, at the end of April. Um, and then we're going to move towards an, an El Nino upper airflow pattern by the fall end of the year. So, so, so this is the, we're transitioning, okay? And West Africa is very, very correlated with El Nino brings in drought, La Nina brings in a lot of rain. So historically, if you look at El Nino periods, they tend to produce poor crops in West Africa. They tend to provide worries over supply, and they tend to provide periods where the cocoa price has to reprice higher based upon that shortage of supply. And of course, given that West Africa, uh, in aggregate, produces about 70% of all the cocoa in the world, what happens in West Africa doesn't stay in West Africa. It, it, it impacts the price pretty significantly. So we're not really what I would call at the mission critical point yet, Casey, we're, we're actually already developing a dry pattern, but the real critical growing phase for the cocoa crop is the main crop. So if you look at the blooming and the potting, uh, set, uh, pod setting for the main crop in West Africa, it's the period from May through August is most important. So we have developed a West African um, drought algorithm that kind of goes over five or six of the important different natural climate cycles that we follow that have been associated with severe droughts in West Africa. And we're going to be looking for that indicator to kind of move into more of a drought prone phase 
as we get into May. So I think where we're at now is we're in the early stages of developing this weather pattern. And um, in the meantime, the cocoa price relative to all the commodities is the cheapest in 50 years, where everyone's coming off of the COVID restrictions. Um, and so overall, we think that the demand side picture looks better. Um, and two to three years of lack of investment in West Africa in, in, in the cocoa tree crop means that we're going to have uh, a difficulty turning this supply around uh, as this weather becomes more adverse. So I think that's the longer term story. So, so uh, I would say depending upon your time horizon, if you have a longer term time horizon, cocoa looks interesting right now. If you have a more of a shorter term time horizon, you might want to look more during that critical May through August time frame. And obviously, Casey, we'll be updating everyone as we get closer to that time frame, what our drought cycle, West African drought cycle algorithm is saying, like we did with Brazilian drought uh, frost, and we had developed a Brazilian frost algorithm. So, uh, so far, all the things we're looking for are moving in that direction. So we, you know, that, that story remains intact, but it's just, we're just not quite at mission critical yet. Right on. Okay, so you know, on Tuesday we talked about uh, oil and, and the effect it was going to have on, on uh, renewable fuels and what that looked like, so we're going to talk about that a little bit right now. So we have uh, yesterday the uh, uh, the uh, uh, Indian Stocks Report came out yesterday. You act like you think I would have remembered that. Uh, the Indian stocks came out yesterday talking about what was going on there. Obviously, they they had some concerns about what's happening in uh, Brazil and South America, like we've talked about quite a bit here on this. And then we start looking at um, the prospective acres report will be coming out here pretty quick. And also, when that comes out, there'll be uh, um, a uh, supply and demand report that comes out as well, too. So kind of coupling all that together. Start looking at the price of, of energy right now and what that looks like. Soybean crush across the uh, across the world has been at record highs. Um, palm oil has been at record highs. Uh, the amount of sunflower oil that's going to hit the market is going to dramatically drop because of what's happening in Ukraine right now. So you couple all that stuff together, then you throw biodiesel and um, you know corn crush for ethanol on top of all that. You start looking at some some pretty significant uh, things start to happen when it just comes to vegetable oil and just in general, not necessarily biodiesel or anything else. So, talk about that market a little bit, Sean, and what you see happening there. Well, there's a real battle going on. I mean, we have the politicians that want to get food prices down, and they think one way to do that is to uh, walk away or uh, soften the mandates on ethanol production and on renewable diesel production, and they're and they're talking about the same things in India, in Indonesia, you know, where they where they are utilizing a lot of the vegetable oil and the you know various uh, crops for this uh, alternative energy production. Yeah, at the same time, you know, there's another constituent that wants to use these products because they're more environmentally friendly for those that feel that reducing carbon is important. And then you have a third component, uh, 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 third constituency that says. Given how high energy prices are, you know, ethanol actually makes gas cheaper, um, and renewable diesel would actually make things cheaper because you can, right now, can produce it and, and it actually lowers the price. So we should continue to push these, um, you know, alternative fuels. So it's really hard to know 
how all that's going to play out. My um, suspicion is is that food prices are probably the most important thing for most countries to deal with, uh, meaning that you know people can ride a bicycle, you know, instead of a moped. Um, but you know, feeding your family—if you're not able to do that—then you go after the people you feel are to blame for why you can't feed your family. So, I think in the end, that what's going to win out is to reduce short-term the mandates on these alternative fuels to attempt you know, to get some of these food prices down. Whether that's actually a good policy or not, whether it actually works or not, but I think the governments around the world are starting to get more vocal that that's what they want to do. And my suspicion is if things continue to escalate, Casey, with issues with the growing season, you know, we, might see some, we might see the politicians pull those levers and that could create some selling, you know, in the grain markets, for example. Um, you know, if, if people are worried that maybe the demand that they're anticipating for bean oil, they're anticipating for corn-based ethanol has to fall off and they have to shift the balance sheets here a little bit. Okay. All right. So specifically looking at, at crop mix and what that looks like, if, because when I look at it right now, I mean, obviously farmers want to plant corn and that's something that they do. United States farmers plant plant lots of corn and those kind of things. But if you're looking at kind of almost like a like a sure pipeline bet, it seems like to me that that soybeans would be more towards that that bet right now, especially with the crush rates that we're seeing right now and, and the need for vegetable oil. Do you feel like coming up uh, you know, in this prospective acreage report coming up, I mean obviously that's it's watch the left hand and the right hand is gonna go do something else type of thing, but when you're looking at that that, that soybean mix, do you feel like soybeans have a have a really good case right now to plant more acres in corn? I think in certain areas they do, Casey. Um, uh, I, I definitely think, I think it's really location um, specific. But if I'm looking at the core grain belt, and I'm looking at the economics for corn, and, I'm, and, and as you said correctly, Casey, the um, strong, strong, inherent desire for U.S. farmers to plant more corn if, if it pencils out. Um, the consensus right now is that the corn acres are going to be down a lot and the soybean acres are going to be up a lot. My um, uh, All the years that I've been looking at grain markets and ag markets for the last 30 years, Typically, a widely anticipated consensus rarely turns out to be correct. Uh, usually, the consensus turns out to be wrong. Um, and I kind of have a sneaky suspicion that the corn acres are going to surprise to the upside, meaning we're going to plant more acres than the market's thinking we're going to do, um, and that we're actually going to plant less soybean acres uh, than the market's thinking we, that, that we're going to do. I also think this, Casey. I think we're going to plant more acres overall than the market thinks we're going to do in everything. Meaning, when you look at the total number of acres that we're going to plant, I think we're just going to plant a lot more acres than anyone thinks we're going to plant. So while I just say what I said about corn and soybeans, it doesn't mean that necessarily those numbers are, are bullish or bearish. It just means that based upon current expectations, I think corn could be higher, beans not as high, but I think the total acres planted is going to be higher across the board, meaning if you took cotton and rice and wheat, uh, spring wheat and the, the whole thing, it's just we're just going to plant, we're going to try, we're going to try to plant a lot of acres. So I'm thinking 
you know, there might be a bullish supply uh, surprise on the soybean acreage. And I'm not one that goes out and tries to, to bet on these reports because I never know what the USDA is going to say anyway. But I just have a sneaky suspicion everyone's leaning towards less corn, more beans. And I just feel the corn price is at a level that I think on the, on, on the margin, enough farmers have bought in their fertilizer early enough, cheap enough, where they didn't have to chase these higher prices. I think they're going to plant more corn than, than the current market is giving them credit for. That's my suspicion. It's total speculation. But I think that's, that's what I'm I, – I would be looking for a corn – acreage surprise, meaning more acres than not, based upon the current feeling. And that's, uh, you know, that's just my my gut instinct telling me what I think is going to happen. So, Okay, from, so if that, when that market, when that report comes out and it's it's a horrible market or horrible report to, to trade on, I mean, because it's rarely is it accurate, but you, you start seeing, okay, all of a sudden the uh, report comes out and says, hey, you know what, we're going to have these, we're going to plant, you know, whatever, you know, Two million more acres of corn, and we're going to plant two million less acres of soybeans. What what do you see? What effect is that going to have on the market, in your opinion? Well, the soybean market needs more acres. So if, it, if that's if that was what the report said, we would clearly and immediately have to change the ratio of new crop beans to new crop corn, and immediately tell any farmer that's on the edge that can still change his mind. Um, to do so right now, please. Mm-hmm. And and you would get a violent, violent, quick and swift reaction to whatever level the market believes is enough to switch that acreage balance around so that it works out better. Then, of course, once that's done, and that, that would be done like within a day or two or three, like it won't take long to reprice those markets if that's what the number says. Then once that's done, it's, then it's all about mother nature, mother nature, mother nature. Right. Whatever. You know, is it a good early start? Is it a good planting season? Is it not? You know, what are the conditions? And that will ultimately determine, you know, whether the market has it right or not or whether the planting intentions is right or not. As you said, rarely is the planting intentions report turn out to be what the actual acres planted is at the end of June. Right. But, uh, but, that, but certainly, uh, I think what you just said in terms of a, a bearish corn report, a bullish soy report, whether it's $2 million, I don't know, but I think that's what I'm anticipating is going to happen based upon the current consensus. It's just too many people think that this is a guaranteed report to be bullish corn, bearish soybeans, and I'm thinking they they're they're probably overplaying that a little bit, and we need to be ready for that kind of a trade. So okay, all right. So from a competition standpoint, so you take a look at states like Kansas, Oklahoma, um, you know, Western Nebraska. Western Dakotas, Montana, those areas like that that are that are fringe areas for um, for total like for the overarching corn and soybean production anyway. And then you start looking at the price of wheat, for example, uh, spring wheat and those kind of things. How do you feel like though in those acres where you see um, where wheat could have a better play? Do you see wheat acres being picked up in those areas? Yeah, the fringe acres now are different. What we just talked about was the total acres. Mm-hmm. But the fringe acres, which are your Dakotas, the, you know, as you just said, the western uh, belt out there, I do believe you're going to pick up uh, wheat acres, and I do believe you're going to pick up soybean acres. I believe you're going to pick up oats acres. You know, I think you're mm-hmm. going to get some of those alternative crops that when, when, when you're looking at the prices of some of these things. You know, um, it, it, it pencils out pretty good. So, yeah, I think in those, in those areas you're going to see a pretty significant – differential 
towards these other crops and away from corn. But I don't believe that switch is going to be as, uh, I don't believe that switch is going to be meaningful enough for what I believe is going to happen in the core corn belt to deliver on the current consensus uh, estimates right now. I guess that's where I'm coming from. Right. So, so as you take a look at um, even in areas like like cotton, how's cotton playing in that? You know, we saw cotton fall off pretty good yesterday. I listened to your report that you put out two or three days ago, uh, talking about your concerns with cotton, what that looks like. What, what's your thoughts there right now? Well, I would hope and have to believe that most cotton farmers have done something by now to lock in an extremely attractive new crop cotton price. You know, I, I would imagine they probably have or have done something to make sure that they've locked that price in. It's going to be very, very hard, Casey, for a cotton producer that's all geared up to produce cotton with the, with the equipment and the infrastructure you need to produce right. cotton that they're going to go switching to another crop. It's just too profitable uh, for them to do so. And I think that uh, I would be looking for more cotton acres um, dis despite these other crops being attractive. I believe, once again, in the Deep South, they want to plant cotton. They like to plant cotton. They're geared to plant cotton. If they can get a price that more than pencils out on paper, they're going to plant cotton and probably as much as they possibly can. So I think cotton acres will be up. I don't see that being a crop that gives up the ghost to some other crops this year. Right on. All right, so long term, uh, looking out past, you know, 2022 into 23 and what that looks like. How do you think this renewable fuel story plays out? Well, if we have a, a spike trade here over the spring, early summer, based upon weather worries in the northern hemisphere, Casey, and we, and we, we, we ratchet up the fear, uh, the food shortage fear even further, I do believe that the politicians around the world will pull the plug on some of this uh, renewable fuel uh, mandate. So that, I think, is a story that happens, let's say, from spring, and, and maybe they, they hold on to that into the end of the year. And then if prices do come falling back down uh, and we get good crops and we start to put this genie back in the bottle, we get an El Nino pattern, which is much, much better for growing crops, then I think they'll go back and put the, you know, put them back on. So we might be looking at a, uh, you know, a uh, a great story for renewable fuels in 23 in terms of demand, but we might be looking at a disappointment in renewable fuels uh, because they're going to pull the plug for the back half of the year, and maybe a lot of the demand-side expectations that are in the balance sheets have to be pared back. That would be my best guess at this point, looking at the climate, the political climate that we're looking at right now. Right on. Sean, good stuff as usual. Uh, folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at Hack of Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there that talks about our smart money algorithm, natural climate cycle algorithm, and a lot of other things to see if what we do you know, might be of value to your listeners. Right on. Well, Sean, appreciate you being the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Love to do this all every week. What's wonderful. Well, I'm glad that you do. So that's, that makes my life easier. I appreciate that. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, you can find all the information there. If you would like to uh, 
get more information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, make sure you check out the Moving Iron uh, LLC webpage there and you get all the information as well. Also, you can find all the podcasts and blogs there as well. So with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's move some iron, folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving higher in the 21st century.